You're listening to Nostalgia Be Damned. Everybody, my name is Zach. I'm Brandon, aka DJ Ice, DJ Smirnoff Ice. I don't understand these names. And welcome to Nostalgia Be Damned, the podcast where we take those rose-colored glasses and we tear them off of your face and we stomp them into the ground, or we just talk about how much we like a film. Maybe that's the case with this episode. We'll it might see. be 1995s, not 96s. We apologize for the misinformation. Let this isn't fake news. Totally your this fault. This isn't a conspiracy. I apologize, but this is 1995 action adventure family film, Jumanji. Jumanji. Jumanji is a very fun movie. Um we just finished watching it. This Literally is, just popped it out of the Blu-ray player. Which is going to be which is a new experience for us because the way we've been recording the show is we'll watch it the day before or in uh the first episode's case weeks before. Yeah. Um, so we're literally just fresh off of watching Jumanji. So we got a lot to get to. We got a lot of things to talk about. So fresh in my mind, dude. I can smell it. Dude. I'm very I fresh. I forgot it. to bring my notes to the table, but I feel like I can go without them. Ooh, dude. We'll see about that, dude. We'll I might see. have to stand up and get them. But anyway, <laughs> so Brandon, why don't you tell us a little bit about Jumanji? Well, a little bit of history of the film. So this was considered a pretty nice box office uh, smash back in the day in 95. It cost 65 mil to make, made 100 million just in the United States, but worldwide made over 260 million. Oh, so that's it was considered good. a decent little chunk of change for back in the 90s. It was actually seventh for the year in 95. I believe Toy Story was the top grossing film of that year. This was uh, received kind of mixed reviews, though, from critics. It's got a 48% on Rotten Tomatoes and a 6.9 on IMDb. Okay. Exact same score, actually, as last year, uh, last episode's Independence Day. So do you remember when Jumanji came out? Uh, so I didn't see Jumanji, I think, probably until 97 or 98, whenever it actually came on VHS, because I remember it was one of the few movies that I did own on VHS, and it was one of the few movies that, I don't know if you had uh, a separation or were able to separate your movies from the family's movies, because I remember we used to have like the family collection, and then I had about, I think, five VHS tapes that were in my room that I got to keep there, and this was one of them, dude. I watched this movie so many times. I never saw it in theaters. I also didn't have it in VHS, but I do remember seeing it quite a few times in school, which in retrospect is a confusing thing. <laughs> Absolutely. I wouldn't say this is a movie that you should necessarily, it has any educational value to. No, not at all. And we were talking a little bit before we even started watching the movie that this was billed as a children's film. Yes. And I would make the argument that this probably terrified children. I know uh, there were parts in the movie where, as a kid, that I was really scared watching. I feel like kids back in the day uh, were able to handle, I guess, a little bit more. Their their entertainment was a little bit more harder-edged than the stuff that we're used to seeing now. Like a PG movie, this movie would not be PG today. No. It would not feature half of the, the kids in peril and mortal danger and people shooting at children and half of the crazy shit that happens in this movie. Oh, absolutely. And uh, I, I, I don't know, maybe it was that the kids were just kind of tougher back then because our, our faces weren't bare in our phones, you damn kids. <laughs> you goddamn kids you with God your cellular kids. telephones. Get off the sidewalk. <laughs> anyway, this was... 
<laughs> directed by uh, a guy named Joe Johnston. Now, he has kind of crafted this little niche uh, in, in Hollywood, and his filmography is almost the same tone of films <laughs> um, from the get-go. He, he has these, like, kind of just darker family films. So he, he has Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, uh, The Rocketeer, The Pagemaster, October Sky, which is a great movie. Love October Jurassic Sky. Park 3. Uh, the Wolfman remake, which was pretty terrible, and uh, yeah. Captain America: The First Avenger. So yeah, he's. Uh, I would say he's he's got some good credits to it. He's not a he's not a bad filmmaker. I, I find I, most of his films fairly entertaining. Entertaining, and I think that's the key word that because some of those movies I wouldn't quite pick out as maybe good, but definitely entertaining. For yeah, sure. yeah, for sure. Now, have you seen the spiritual sequel to this film, Zathora? Yes. Have you? <laughs> so, I've seen I've seen a little bit of Zathura. I I have only seen the trailer. I know Dax Shepard, Kristen Stewart, and Josh Hutcherson are in it. Yeah, and directed it's by a, John Favreau. Yeah, and it was. I mean, it is literally. I, I think I saw about half that movie before I was like, "What am I doing?" And I turned it off. But um, it it is just Jumanji in space, which sounds entertaining to me. And we've talked about this before. I own Zathura on Blu-ray. We watched the Jumanji <laughs> Blu-ray. I have not seen Zathura, but it was one of those purchases where it was a buy three, buy two get one free at Best Buy, and I literally had had every other title or that I would you know consider watching. The next best thing, dude, was was Zathura. I saw Zathura actually more recently than the last time that I've seen Jumanji. And I got to tell you, the parallels are crazy. I'd say they're about the same quality sort of movie. Really? Yeah, I mean, it really is. But that, but that's also having just freshly watched Jumanji and knowing what I know now. Now, we might touch on this a little bit later, but I just want to you know, get into the the fresh topic that's on a lot of people's minds is this sequel that's coming out. Oh, my God. We, the trailer just dropped recently. stars uh, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, mm-hmm. Kevin Hart, Jack Black. Nice little cast. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell me, what are your thoughts on, on the trailer? I mean, it just looks... That movie, to me, just based on the trailer, just screams money grab. Like, and they... And this is specifically what this podcast tackles in in terms of nostalgia because that movie is clearly there's nothing there for a new audience there re- I don't think there is so watching this movie again the concept the idea the board game it actually would stand to uh benefit I think from a remake or a reboot or a new film like mm-hmm. because it's such a good idea I think this idea of this game that, that does all this crazy shit we'll get into the logistics the logistical nightmare and what it actually means for the people who play it, and uh, man, this is some crazy well, shit. But I think the idea of the game, you could make a, a decent movie out of it. This trailer, though, it feels like it takes every, all of the worst parts of Jumanji and makes those the center front. <laughs> exactly. Like, the front part of and it. And the CGI is somehow looking like a little worse than it did back in 1995. Um, See, but although uh, it's funny that you bring that up, that you think it, it it is worth having a sequel or even a reboot, because I did write down... Um, cause it was just kind of coming through my mind while we were watching. I would rather see an origin story. Sure. Than I would a sequel or a spinoff. Yeah. I would rather just see even just a reboot where it doesn't touch on this storyline at all, because 
the more I watched the film, the the more I, the realization came to me that this it's not it's not that great of a film. And so no. at first, when I heard they were remaking it, you know, my nostalgia, everything like kicked up, and was like, don't touch Jumanji, like exactly. that's, a, that's a good movie. But rewatching it. You know, I probably hadn't seen this in a couple of years. This is a movie that I've seen so many times that it was still fresh in my mind. So it wasn't like mind blowing. It didn't change my view of it or anything. But, mm-hmm. you know, when you're watching it objectively, you really notice all of the the holes and the parts of it that don't quite add up. It is a kind of a sloppy movie and a confusing movie. We'll get into a lot of that stuff later, but I think we should maybe just start getting into the movie. So let's let's start off. Uh, we're kicked off. In what what is it eighteen sixty something eighteen sixty nine? There's two kids. They're trying to bury a box that uh, we you know later find out has the game Jumanji inside. There's some weird drums that are beaten away that yep. they'll come up uh, again and again throughout this movie. So I think they're in a cemetery from what it looks like, and they're burying this box. One of the kids falls in, and as the drums like start back up, he just screams, "Caleb, it's after me!" <laughs> <laughs> also, I I also want to point out. That um, it, we assume that these two characters have gone through the distress and the game Jumanji. Yep. And the very first line in the movie, you hear wolves howling. And, like, one of the kids starts to panic a little bit. And his brother just goes, don't worry, it's just wolves. First of all. <laughs> wolves are concerning in and of themselves. In any situation, a wolf howl should be concerning. Yeah, you should be, like, a little worried. That's not just, like, a dismissive, like, dude, chill. Wolves, man, relax, idiot. You're also, like, scared because you've been playing a game that's been unleashing animals and creatures out into the, you know, the real world, so that could be a very plausible, you know, part of the game that's out. Maybe back off on your brother slash friend. (laughs) (laughs) No, well, Caleb, I guess, is the asshole. But either way, there's also a lot of perfectly timed thunderclaps throughout this movie that punctuate a lot of dialogue. And then right before they so they've buried it, you can still hear the drums. And the younger of the two goes, well, what if somebody finds it? And my God, just sets the tone for the movie. Just a quick... May God have mercy on his soul. Boom. Thunderclap. Thunderclap. A little little bright light. And then we're flashed forward to 1969, 100 years later. Right. Somehow this this game has lined dormant. We're in Brantford, New Hampshire, I believe it is. Brantford, New Hampshire. But we're introduced to young Alan Parrish, who is uh, the younger version of Robin Williams. Yep. (laughs) I was going to say Rob Zombie for some reason. Can you imagine the young version of Rob Zombie? I don't want to meet that guy. (laughs) Interchangeable, dude. They're the same person. Absolutely. But he's being terrorized by this asshole gang of like the biker gangs the bike gang yeah and they're like really i mean i I feel like this is something that we tackle in a lot of movies where you see bullies but man kids are brutal dude i I, maybe i just went to a school that this stuff didn't happen as terribly as it does in the movies but movie bullies are the worst they're like riding away on the bike and they're like we're gonna kill you (laughs) yeah literally one of the lines i wrote down was prepare to die perish prepare to die perish they're chasing him on the on their bikes and uh, he winds up going to his dad's place of employment. I think his dad owns this, right? It's the parish shoe yes, factory parish that's been passed factor. along from generation to generation. Yeah, and apparently the glue that keeps the community together will get into that. But it's holy shit, dude. <laughs> we'll get into that. Um, we'll, we have to. We have to wait on this. But <laughs> the economic implications of what happens later on, though, it's it's insane. I mean, if you know anything about kind of like the small town New England, you don't really have to have it explained to you that this shoe factory is probably the biggest employer in the region. Oh, for sure. Um, but so a ton of people work there. They're the most famous family 
in the town and he he runs into the shoe factory to escape the bullies and he starts talking to uh, one of the employees there. Did you write down the name by any His chance? His name is Carl. Carl. It's played by a young David Allen Greer. Yes. Uh, it, well, it's actually just David Allen Greer. I say young because his age makes no sense in this movie. Again, that's another thing we'll get into, but he's making a shoe, some sort of prototype for some athletic footwear. Yes. Yeah, so, okay, we have to, like, keep in mind what year this is. This is 1969. 69. And he, Carl has this idea that he's going to invent uh, what is essentially the modern day sneaker and i'm not even kidding when i say it's the modern day sneaker because it, it looks like it was made in 2000 sneakers didn't develop just develop into the basketball shoe it is so like it looks like a nike it looks like a jordan shoe dude carl is ahead of his time so at this point, Alan, I think, accidentally puts it on this conveyor belt in which it runs through and gets destroyed while uh, young David Alan Greer is talking to uh, Alan's father. Yes, who and Alan's father has just uh, berated Alan for not standing <laughs> up to a literal gang of bullies. <laughs> like, Dad, I so don't know like, oh, you have to be a man at one there point. There are eight kids there. I don't know what you want me to do. Yeah. <laughs> so... So the the shoe goes down the conveyor belt and it ruins the machine or something like that. Yeah, the sneaker is there's all a lot up. of damage. He's pissed. The dad is pissed. He's like, "Who did this?" And instead of Alan taking you know responsibility for what he did, he just walks out like an absolute walks asshole. out. And Carl takes the blame because he's like, oh, "I'm not going to get the kid in trouble, and it's my sneaker." It's blah, later blah, blah. found out that Carl gets fired from that. Yeah, but so Alan just walks away, like knows what's happening, is watching the whole thing, and then just turns and walks away but karma poetic justice call it what you will gets the shit kicked out of him yeah no like, this is a like boys in the hood beat down literally six kids just circle him and kick the crap out of it's him. like a scene out of oz or something like it is <laughs> hardcore no but he, he winds up getting the shit kicked out of him they steal his bike apparently he's been talking to somebody's girlfriend yeah the head bully's girlfriend or whatever they've been like hanging out i don't even think it's like cheating thing it's just like they're friends and so alan gets up after taking his beating he he shouts this great line jerks because we all know how good kid actors are absolutely um, and that's when like I, I think he may start thinking have i had a concussion because i'm hearing some ringing or more likely drumming and it's coming from this construction site that's near the the parish sioux site which is apparently an old graveyard which again that's disrespectful and they're terrible. dig they're in the ground they're digging up right next to where I, i'd assume corpses were or had been and and one of the biggest things I can't understand about this movie is that the drumming is so loud that apparently he can hear it from yards away, but they're in a construction site with a ton of people around, and, and it's something that goes on throughout the whole movie. Adults can't hear the drumming? Yeah, again, I thought, I mentioned while we were talking about this, this reminds me of the Polar Express, like that sleigh bell that you can, when you ring it, only those who believe in Santa can hear it. It really makes no sense because... I don't know, is it calling to certain players that it wants to play the game, or is it just only children can hear it? I don't understand. And if that's the case, why does it pick Alan? For sure, yeah, Alan's a little chode. And dude. this is exactly why I wrote down I'd rather have an origin story, because I want to know how to, like how did this magic board game get started? Why is it a board game? Uh, why does it only speak out to specific people? 
these are all things that I would rather know than see Jack Black play a woman. <laughs> there are so many questions it leaves, and uh, but the prop itself, the game board itself, really cool. I've always enjoyed this. I've always wanted to find one that looks legit like it. That like it just feels like a, a really heavy, like weighty. Yeah, I, I love the prop. It's very it's really old nice school. Looking. It's a very nice prop. Um, and this was something I think we talked about during the show. Did you ever play the Jumanji board game that came out with this? No, no. I remember it being super rare and eventually going for a lot of money on eBay and stuff. I had a friend who had it and it was, I mean, it's a board game. It's pretty boring. It's, it's, it kind of reminded me of a complicated shoots and ladders where it was essentially roll the dice, move back and it'll tell you like, Oh, you get attacked by monkeys, move back. But I do remember there was this cool little sort of like, it was a red screen and you would slide the card into the red screen and it would reveal what happened. It would oh, reveal okay. the poem. So I, I, I can't remember what it's called, but I, the game obviously not nearly as fun as what the actual Jumanji would have been. Dude, we'll get into the logistics of this game later on and what it could afford you to do. But anyway, he winds up hearing this drum, the drumming. He heads through this construction site where people apparently don't give a shit that a kid is just walking through here. He finds the I, I somehow just is is drawn to the spot where it is pulls it out of the the wall essentially or the the dirt and uh opens it up or breaks the lock with a shovel and the drumming winds up stopping when he finally like reveals the title of the game jumanji everyone by the way has disappeared at this point there's like no one in the construction site except for like two guys who are staring at him not saying a thing do not understand what happens at this point all sorts of responsibility in the workplace just go out the window a kid is not wearing a hard helmet he's in a like very big construction site um and by the way everyone Something that I noticed, no one really looks like they're in 1960s costumes. Very true. They, it, everybody looks like they're in the 90s, and you just have to, like, except for maybe Alan. Like, well, everyone's every, just in this very, yeah, basic kind of small town getup, and so I guess yeah. it could feel like a timeless sort. But yeah, no, nothing nothing screams this, is, this takes place way back when. And you can tell how kind of a throwaway the build up to this movie is but ignoring all of that he takes the game back home and then he starts to run into some parent trouble because he clearly got beat up and <laughs> this is one of my favorite parts of the movie so he's eating dinner by himself before his parents are about to go out to dinner and his dad comes up to him and he's like hey i didn't realize like that your bullies were an actual gang um but i'm really proud of you for standing up so as a reward you get to go to Boarding school. <laughs> it makes no sense. No, and he is rip shit pissed about this. Oh yeah, he he's you know tells his dad he doesn't ever want to talk to him. Again. I don't. Maybe I don't want to be a parish. Oh yeah, he doesn't want to be a parish, and his dad like almost starts crying. He's like, <laughs> he does. Too. He's like, well, you're not going to be. Holds it together and gets the f out of there. And uh, that's when uh, Alan decides he's going to pack and leave. He grabs some clothes. I think he grabs, like, what? Like, he grabs, peanut butter and jelly sandwich. He grabs supplies. peanut butter and, very specifically, I think, Wonder Bread. Yeah, it's definitely Wonder Bread. And it looked like ground just in case coffee you didn't, or something. Yeah, I don't just know what else he, he grabbed. Yeah, just in case you didn't know this was the 60s, he, gra <laughs> he grabs, like, ground coffee and Wonder Bread. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so he's about to leave, and uh, right before he leaves... Sarah, Sarah comes over. Sarah. Now, and Sarah I, is apparently, I think, this the ex, the bully's girlfriend, I think. Yes, Sarah Whitner. Whittle. Or Whittle. Sarah oh Whittle. Sarah Whittle. So, I don't know what she's coming over for. I I, I don't know what. She's, she's just coming over to, like, apologize oh, or something. Right, or for her boyfriend beating the shit yeah, out of him earlier. Doesn't matter. Sarah Whittle. She's here. 
she comes in and he winds up convincing her to play the game mm-hmm. or, or kind of. So he sets up the game. Well, She hears the drums and she's like, oh, what's that? Right. And she and he's like, you hear it, too. So they set up the game and she rolls the dice first. Acc- well, accidentally. accidentally. She just drops him like, I don't want to play. Yeah, she acc- the pieces get set up accidentally. She rolls the dice accidentally. It's this very ominous poetry or rhyme about bats coming in. Alan accidentally rolls the dice and gets sucked into the jungle. That's his punishment for his spot. He gets sucked into the jungle until somebody rolls a five or an eight. Yeah, in the jungle, you must wait until some dice roll five or eight. five or eight, something yeah. like that. Yeah, no, exactly. And he gets sucked in this terrifying, like, sand almost. <laughs> like, he gets just warped it around is actually in this, like, tornado. Slight. Yeah, it's weird. For a kid, I can imagine petrifying. this being like, what is happening? Yeah, petrifying. And then immediately, once he gets sucked into the game, all the bats come flying out of the the yep of the chim or the chimney fireplace yeah yeah yeah. she sprints out of there fleeing in terror and then we hold on this door which is actually a pretty cool transition this is probably the coolest yeah transition so we watch the doorknobs as they age and then we cut to 26 years later essentially a woman is looking into buying this old house it is in disrepair there are cobwebs and dirt and leaves all over the goddamn place it, it makes really no sense um it would probably be declared unlivable by city (laughs) well that's why she's getting some sort of good deal on this although we'll talk about the state of the city in a second so it doesn't matter she gets a good deal and we reveal that she uh she is taking care of her niece and nephew judy and peter judy and peter and let me tell you you guys right now (sighs) peter is the worst character (laughs) Not only in this movie, but I think the entire year. He is an insufferable Peter little was the shit, worst dude. character of 1995. <laughs> I dare you to challenge me. You know what? If you have a different character that didn't suck as much as Peter and Jumanji, leave a comment on this podcast right now, and I will go to war with you. I will go to war with you. I don't know the actor's name, and Does we're not going to we're not going to put it out there for no. fear of his safety and well being. <laughs> but uh, Judy is is played by. Kirsten Dunst. Kirsten Dunst. Yeah. She, uh, again, we mentioned she's what ten years away from macking with with Peter Toby Maguire, Toby Maguire, Maguire yeah, upside Peter down. Dude, that's freaking hot. Spider Man. Yeah, um, dude. Anyway, yeah, dude. Uh, <laughs> she's a pathological liar. Yeah. She continues to just make up these terrible stories about how her parents actually died. Because by the way, the parents are dead. The parents are dead. Yes, that's why they're living with their aunt. And it just turns out that they were advertisers. And got in a car crash in Canada, which, by the way, it's mentioned once, extremely briefly, that they're advertisers. And somehow that comes in later on. Again, we will loop into this again. But, yes. Apparently it's important to know that they were in advertising. So we get a little cleaning montage. They're, you know, living in their new house. And uh, they keep hearing noises. They first hear what sounds like a bat coming from the attic. Mm -hmm. So they call in an exterminator. Well, Peter actually sees the bat. Too. Oh, that's right. You know, Peter does see the bat. Although you wouldn't know it because Peter's a piece of shit. <laughs> the the exterminator, once he arrives, tells the children a horrifying story of murder about how Alan killed his parents and chopped them up into little bits and put them all around the house inside the walls. So, you know, he tells them there's no bats in here, blah, blah, blah. The aunt, who's basically just, uh, I'm, I'm too busy to really take care of the children, has to go to work leaves and the children decide to investigate the drumming noise that they hear up in the attic and apparently they're the only ones who can hear the drumming noise again apparently only children can hear the drumming so they go up and 
they revealed Jumanji has been sitting in the attic this entire time for the last 26 years. So playing hooky, they decide that they're going to give this game uh, a go. So they take it out. Again, I really like the look of this game. It's, it, I like the, it, the it, game It really pieces is. And... I think it's one of the best pieces in the entire movie in terms of prop and design. It's beautiful. It's got this old look to it. Um, the pieces are made out of what looks like either ivory or like this beautiful stone or something like that. It is a beautiful looking board game. So I believe it's Peter who goes first and he rolls, (laughs) uh, whatever. And the first, the first uh, creatures that we're encountered by through the game are mosquitoes, which, and I'll give this movie a little credit here because it's like three, Granted, big mosquitoes, but it's just three bugs that just kind of fly out and they swat them away with like a tennis racket. But this movie does a really good job at sort of building like starting small because it just starts with these mosquitoes. They're gross. They're creepy. You don't know that they're dangerous. Um, And then they just move on really quick. Yeah, no, but that also got me thinking of the game and how in the context of since Alan and Sarah first began playing their first role was bats. Their second role was you're going to get cast away to the goddamn jungle. <laughs> is it like completely random all the time or is it supposed to elevate with severity with each role? I don't know. And that's also a question, too, because if you look at the way the game is set up, they start in four corners. So nobody actually hits the same spots. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's all got to be different depending on where you start or something like that. I don't know. It's it, I don't think it's for us to look too deeply into how exactly Jumanji is built. <laughs> <laughs> Again, you'll get lost down that rabbit hole. But yeah. I was mistaken. Judy rolls the first time. The second time I remember is Peter because he rolls the dice that gets the monkeys to come. Yes, the monkeys. And again, uh, the monkeys. <sighs> oh, boy. So the monkeys, luckily, at least are all CGI. What I will say what is bizarre about this movie is that it is one of the rare films I think that I've ever seen in motion picture history in which the CG, for the most part, looks better than the puppeteer work. It really is. And we talked about this, especially um, there's and without jumping too far ahead, a lion shows up. Holy shit. We talked about the lion because the lion puppet looks terrible. In fact, I was telling you before we watched the movie, because we were discussing what was the scariest part of this movie for us when we were kids, and I said the lion always kind of got me, because it came out of the shadows, it was creepy, but the second you see the lion (laughs) in this game, we both burst out laughing. Yeah, no, it's bad. It's really bad. The puppet's terrible, and then the CGI jumps in, and it looks It's better. I was going to say, it's better. Not great, but it's better. But anyway, these monkeys are terrible they are terrible no yeah every shot of these i mean from wide shots they look okay but as soon as you get into anywhere where you see any detail on their face they look aw- like i was saying the comparison between like a war for the planet of the apes what we're getting today yeah. compared to then it is night and day cartoon it's, animation compared to real life it's, it's crazy but you know th- that's definitely not something that i thought about in 1995 or six whenever i saw this movie yeah this is you know a lot of the movies that we do for the time it you know it looked pretty decent but if you look at it now it's out it's a testament to how we've come in computer graphics because it looks not that great no if i remember correctly this was one of the few vhs tapes that remember some vhs tapes after you watch through the credits that have a little bonus feature that have like a little like making of yeah some of them came with this one i remember was a big 
showcase in how they used visual effects. I remember particularly the stampede scene. There was a lot of layering and what they they show how they created the effects because these these CGI effects were pretty big for back then. They had Jurassic Park and and Babe and a few other films around that time, but this was one that really you know, started to put them in even more so. This is when filmmakers were starting to get a little ballsy with CGI. Yeah. And that's what it was. It was pretty cool because you were seeing things that we just never even thought of before. And they might look silly to us now or bad to us now. But back then, this was pretty incredible. Mm-hmm. So monkeys are destroying the kitchen. They're acting terribly. And then they leave. Yep. Kids matter. run back up to the attic. And that's when they also realize that in this point in the movie that if they finish the game, the, the instructions on the side say that if they finish the game, everything goes back to normal. And so it's not really done. And this is one of the things that I wrote down. It's not really done in ceremony, but Peter rolls a double. Well, he rolls he rolls a double to get a second turn, but then he rolls either a five or an eight. I can't remember. That's right. Yeah, yeah. He rolls a five or an eight, and if you remember, that's what it takes to get Alan out of the jungle. But it's not just like Alan gets sucked back in again. The lion comes. They're running away from the lion, and then out of nowhere, quite literally out of nowhere, Robin Williams comes in from another room, like screaming. It's no ceremony to it. It's not like a hint to the audience. It's just like, I hope you were paying attention because here's Robin Williams. Yeah. And can I mention that this is 28 minutes into this movie in a Robin Williams vehicle? Yeah. In a Robin Williams vehicle, we're not seeing him until 28 minutes into this movie. That's a problem. That's a real problem. It's not good. So uh, Robin Williams, uh, the kids run away. He starts looking through his house, realizing that, holy shit, I've just traveled. You know, I'm back in the real world. I don't know how much time has passed, but here I am. He tries to find his parents who are absolutely dead. It was confusing for me for a little bit because I'm sitting there. He's running through the house, like screaming for his mom and dad. And I was wondering, does he not know that? He's older now because, I mean, clearly he's he's an old middle aged man. He's got a beard, long hair. And I was wondering if he still thought he was like 14. I have no idea. He must have like cast it at some point and been like, oh, I, I got to be able to tell time how many years have passed. So he must know, you know, time's passed. But again, this brings up so many questions just about the logistics of the game. So he runs out um, and that's when he meets Carl, who has become a police officer. You know, he's trying to talk to Carl about, like, what year it is. He realizes he's talking to Carl, his old friend, and the monkeys then hijack Carl's car. So this is 26 years later. This character now looks like Robin Williams, who I would presume he was, what, 14 at first, 26. So he's now presumably 40 years old, right, I (laughs) guess? Roughly. So if he's 40... That means technically David Allen Greer should be around 60 if he was like 20 something when he was working at the factory. Yeah, that makes sense. And that's being generous. I mean, that's being generous on the side of the filmmakers. Yeah, mid 60s. I mean, even nearing his 70s. Yeah. So first off, David Allen Greer does not look like that. No, they look like they're the same age. The exact same way he looked, you know, you know, they added a mustache ago. They added a mustache and a little bit of white in his hair. That's about it. That's how they're like, nope, he's older. He's got a mustache. now. Robin Williams in real life is 10 years older than David. Alan Greer at this point in time in filming and so it's just really weird I, I it's weird to get over but anyway he uh, is nearly hit by uh, Carl they get out they have this entire conversation we have that wonderful meme now thanks to this what year is it what year is it uh, the monkeys are shooting a hole in the goddamn roof of this car. His car is a running joke in this movie it, the depreciation of this and also a running joke as monkeys 
abilities and talents behind a motor vehicle. The monkeys all know how to operate a car. Like he even, I remember he turns the car off uh, to go talk to Robin Williams. Yeah. And the monkeys somehow figure out in like two seconds how to turn on the car, how to hit the accelerator and that the steering wheel keeps them straight. It's insane. It's crazy. I think we're now at the part of the story, Zach, where we can talk about the depreciation of this town itself. So this employer, this parachute, was such a moneymaker for this town. It must have employed everyone there because now that it is gone, this town is a goddamn hellscape. It's crazy. And we were watching this with Spencer, and thank God he's not here. (laughs) But but anyway, so we were watching this movie, and uh, our friend and roommate and uh, creator of the thumbnail Spencer mentioned I think everybody in the town is now homeless because that's what it looks like everybody's wearing these dirty gross clothes everybody's got their hair and beard grown out and there's graffiti everywhere there's a ton of like porn shops down the street which (laughs) is crazy to me that like apparently the entire town went down the shitter because Alan's dad uh, dedicated his life to finding Alan and all his money, and in, since he never found him, he just quit. And apparently that destroyed the town. And not in the terms of, like, economically, like, oh, now none of us have jobs, we'll have to find a way to bounce back. No, like, the the place looks like the apocalypse. There it's are crazy. homeless people having trash can fires in the park. That's how bad it's gone. <laughs> in the park. And, like, and we were reading some of the graffiti, too. It made no sense. Well, because it's all family-friendly graffiti, so it's like, kiss my butt, and, like, weird, like, <laughs> yeah, it's stuff like that that would stupid. never be written anywhere. But anyway, uh, Robin Williams' character, Alan Parrish, he runs into the factory, the old factory. It's all dilapidated now. Uh, and he finds this old dude living in the upstairs attic part of it all, and he just kind of discusses or, or describes to Alan, like, what happened to his parents, his family, how his, you know, dad basically stopped caring after he had died and, and kind of gave up on the business. A long story short, we won't get too into it, but he tells Alan that his parents are dead. Oh, wait, no, wait, hang on, actually, we do have to really talk about this, because he doesn't tell his parents is dead. He gives him the most cruel, misleading, like, statement I think I've ever heard in a movie. He's like, oh, I see them from time to time. Hard cut to a cemetery <laughs> where Robin Williams yeah. is tearfully saying goodbye to his parents. It's the most, like, <laughs> like, I wonder if in between that cut, he at least explained, like, listen, they're dead. You're gonna get there. You might be sad. Or if he just got there and was like, wait a minute, this is a cemetery. That's my name. So... You know, long story short, uh, Robin Williams decides to, like, move on with his life or whatever. He shaves. <laughs> he was disgusting with he that Rob gross. Zombie beard. That's why I was thinking Rob Zombie. It was the oh, beard, he dude. looks gross. It was the beard. Right, of course. He cleans himself up, and he, and he tells the kids, I'm not playing the game. I don't care if it resets everything. Now, at this time, there's also uh, town members or townies being attacked by these mosquitoes. There's a lot of ambulances picking up people who are have been attacked by them. They got bites. And that's when we get this little, like, slasher scene, essentially, with the three oh, yeah. of them stuck in this car as this mosquito is trying to drill its, like, you know, needle through the roof of this car. Yeah, and... Robin Williams drives a car for the first time. He does it worse than the monkey. <laughs> the monkey's no car. Like no. Car. Robin Williams admits him. that he's been in a car before. He and even says he practiced in his driveway or whatever. Yeah, and like still doesn't drive as well as the monkeys do. <laughs> They're straight from the jungle. I don't understand. So 
they take off. Um, Robin Williams says, I'm not going to play the game. And Peter gives him this terrible, like, it's okay if you're scared. And that convinces Robin Williams to, like, play the game or something like that. So they they go to play, and uh, the kids try to make a move, and the dice don't work. And Robin Williams then realizes, well, it's not your turn. It's Sarah's turn. All I'm imagining is, imagine you playing Grand Theft Auto, and for some reason you wasted 26 years of your life away and then some kid after you came back you're finally back into the real world you're like i'll never fucking play that game again and some little kid's like what are you a pussy and then you, that's what gets you to go back and you're like yeah okay <laughs> um so they go to sarah's house and sarah has become a recluse um considered the town crazy person because she's a psychic now dude yeah Madam serena or, yeah whatever <laughs> It's so glossed over. It's so pointless and stupid. She's what you really need to know is that she's considered the town crazy because after Alan went missing, she told the cops that he got sucked into a board game. So they bring her to the house. Well, she faints and then they kidnap her. They oh, take yes, her that's fainted right. they body her. to their house. I don't know. Again, I don't know it's why dark. everything has to happen at this house. There's no rules about the game that say it has to take yeah, place in one location. But they always just they take it to a different place. To they even address that at one point, too, and Robin Williams goes, oh, I grew up in this house. And it's like, <laughs> that's right, yeah. so? <laughs> like, they get back so to the what? house. She talks about how she's had therapy for years, which is understandable if you watch some little kid get sucked into a board game and were chased out by bats. Um, so she rolls, and this is where we're introduced. I think, what is it? It's like vines, like a mantis yeah, so she rolls, she gets tricked into rolling, and uh, all these vines and poisonous plants sprout up all over the place, and it looks like Little Shop of Horrors. In fact, I think I wrote that down. Yep, Feed Little Shop me, of- Seymour! Feed me! Um, this pod starts to devour Peter, and we're all cheering at this point, like, Peter needs to Peter. go! Peter kill needs to Peter, go. for the love of God. Long story short, Peter doesn't die. <laughs> In fact, uh, we're also introduced to Van Pelt. This is when, after Robin Williams rolls, I believe, uh, or is it after he... Yes, it is, it is, because he has the whole back away from the camera, because they do the yes. same thing every single time they're about to go into they all lean this Jumanji in, scene. Yep. They all lean in to read it, and then they all slowly back up, or someone like looks up and goes, oh no. Now, Van Pelt is this hunter who apparently has had this relationship with Robin Williams' character in the jungle and must have been hunting him because Robin Williams recognizes him and knows him. And he's also played by the same actor who plays his dad. And and it's something that I caught later at the end of the movie, but um, actually a little bit of weird symbolism and a throwback to his childhood because Robin Williams at one point tells him, I'm ready to stand up to you. And he goes, oh, finally acting like a man, which goes back to his dad telling him, face your problems head on. So it's actually the weirdest little bit of, like, character development or something in the show that his that the guy who's trying to hunt him and kill him because apparently the hunter doesn't believe in his values or anything like that. And it looks exactly like his father. Again, I don't know if that was written into the script or if they ran out of actors. Or, or if it's just literally like, just a to come stupid to stu- Yeah, movie. you need to come to studio today. Like, we yeah, need like, to we need you here. But anyway, so... Um, this is when we get the trailer shots. This is the stampede part of the movie. Yeah, and forgive us if we're going through it a little quickly, but the thing is, uh, once all the characters are in place and once everything's kind of been established, this movie starts to blend together. It does, and I, what I will say is it moves. It moves along. It's not very slow, but it does have that... The things come and go so quickly that it's hard to really care about them once they're introduced because you know, oh, they're just going to go on to the next thing. There's no real weight or stakes to anything. Yeah. 
So there's a stampede. They're running away. As they run away, this pelican comes up, which why the pelican's in the stampede, I don't know. I have no idea. But so they're all sitting there, and in between them and the pelican is the board game. And Robin Williams is front and center, like right in front of everybody. And the pelican grabs the game and flies away. And as Robin Williams, <laughs> this is my favorite part of the movie, as Robin Williams goes to chase the pelican, he just yells back at everyone and goes, Peter, why didn't you pick the game up? Why didn't you grab the game, Peter? He's so pissed off He's at so Peter. mad at Peter and it makes no sense because Peter literally, like, you were right there. You were in arm's reach of the game. Peter was in the back of the group. And he yells at Peter, which honestly, I get it. Peter sucks. But I'd want to yell at him in that situation too, dude. It makes sense. But it makes, but does it make sense? (laughs) (laughs) Makes no sense. And I can't for the life of me figure out why they were like, nah, he needs to have a a bad relationship with Peter initially. Which never really seems to get resolved either. But it's very strange. Again, yeah, I don't know if he's supposed to be the father figure to Peter, and there's a, a mirror reflection of how he was treated by his dad. Because yeah, he's unrightfully pissed off at Peter this entire time. Yeah, and I I think it is like you said, just kind of goes back to like Robin Williams or Alan's relationship with his own father, and it's kind of like a reflecting thing. There's a weird message in this movie. I don't know what it is, but it's something about the father son relationship. All right. Well, then Van Pelt goes to buy a gun. Okay, and he's he gets the first class lesson in gun control in America, where he has to fill out all these paperwork. But guess There's what? A waiting period. He just buys his way out of it. Yeah, he he literally throws a bunch of gold coins on the table, and he's just like, "No, I'll fill out this paperwork." And yep. Then we start to, dude. I didn't think Peter could get any worse. This is where Peter gets even worse. Uh, so they've gotten the game back. Yep. Um. And in some convoluted way, uh, Robin Williams gets taken away uh, by Carl, the police officer. They're driving away. And so Peter goes to try and win the game because he's only 10 spaces away. So he tries to drop the dice perfectly or precisely to land on 10. But because he's technically caught cheating by the game, he gets turned into a monkey. Dude, start to turn Peter into a monkey. And my God. It's disgusting, dude. It's disturbing. It's like a fucking David Cronenberg fly movie. It's, <laughs> it's terrifying. The worst thing ever. Uh, the makeup is so bad. It's just unsettling. It's it like really Teen is. Wolf it's meets Wolverine meets the Grinch Who's. He like, looks it's like gross. he's physically deteriorating. Like, there's a, <laughs> even at one point they do a close-up on him and his lips are, like, dry and black. Like, <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. And, like, he's getting turned into a monkey. He's not dying. It's crazy. So, but, and of course, this becomes a point of issue for Peter. He's the worst. Uh, Nobody cares that he's getting turned into a monkey, but we're supposed to care. I don't buy it. No. So Alan's with the cop in the car. Then we're cutting back to the, I guess, downtown area of this town where straight anarchy is, is, is happening. People are looting before the stampede that runs through, because the stampede's about to come through in a minute or two. But, but even before that, people are stealing shit from stores. It's very strange. I don't know what's caused this. I don't know if this was an editing error where they thought the stampede would have already come through at this point but clearly people are rioting and looting before the stampede happens but the stampede happens and we get another one of those trailer shots where the the elephant is crushing the car that peter's hiding in with the game which it's it's cool to watch this movie and be like oh i remember these trailer shots but so just to kind of like push this along a little bit van pelt chases the kids and bonnie hunt slash sarah back into into a superstore and they come up with like this weird convoluted thing because 
Van Pelt has stolen the game and they come up with this stupid plan to like put a bunch of laundry detergent on the ground and like launch Peter in a canoe towards him or something <laughs> yep. like that. It makes no sense. It's very home alone. Yeah, it's it reminds you of home alone. And the the only notable part of this scene is Van Pelt's scream. It's fantastic. It's much like Home Alone, Daniel Stern's scream when the tarantula gets put on his face. He's like a high-pitched, like, <laughs> like <laughs> It's pretty good stuff. It's terrible. Uh, Meanwhile, uh, Robin Williams is still driving with David Allen Greer. We get this stupid scene of the monkeys driving up on a motorcycle, one with a helmet on, one carrying a pistol. Robin Williams, through trickery and Looney Tune-esque shenanigans, uh, gets back to the superstore um saves the day so they get, they get the board game they go back to the house why they don't just roll the dice right there i will never know but they have to go back to the house for everything they it makes do no and, sense. and they don't roll the dice quick enough either because this is the scene where they roll and they get the monsoon it starts to rain but instead of waiting but instead of just quickly rolling the dice to get the shit moving and get out of there as quickly as possible they wait for the rain to pick up as heavy as possible yeah. then there's floods and there's out of fucking crocodiles or alligators in the water it's so stupid because i mean let's put ourselves in the shoes this is happening to you're terrified you're everyone is like five or six spaces away from winning the entire game what are you doing are you like rolling the dice and like watching the rain come down and be like derp like this sucks (laughs) um no, you're just like, all right, go, go, go. Yeah. Like, don't let all these animals, like, have a chance to get to you. Just keep rolling until somebody wins. Next up is uh, quicksand. So the, the the floor turns into this weird gelatin-like substance, and Robin Williams starts falling through it. They save the game. And uh, then he becomes hard. Well, the, the floor, he doesn't become yeah, hard. So- Can you imagine? <laughs> The floor becomes hard again, and he's stuck in, like, the third or fourth floor of this crazy giant mansion. And the reason that the quicksand stopped was because that Judy rolled something that was, like, I don't know. It's a very, like, cop-out, like, we need to fill time. Um, Well, she also gets shot in the neck by these, like, uh, barbs from a poisonous plant that literally comes out like a Jason movie. Like, a floorboard flicks up, springs up, and it just shoots out of nowhere. It's so stupid. Um, But she rolls a dice that, like, eventually stops the quicksand or something. But then everything else is, like, starting to come together. Like, the plants from earlier have popped up. Shoot her in the neck. Peter has rolled the dice and, like, made spiders show up. Dude, this as a kid was the most unsettling part because they move so jittery and strange and unnatural. Well, it's funny because they're clearly puppets or something, and they look very real, but, like, you can tell they're... They're on strings or something because it just looks like they're like rocking them back and forth. And it's a little unsettling. It is. It's weird. And they're giant and they're gross and they wind up beating them away with tennis rackets and shit. So what's crazy about all of this as all this is going on and like literally the last four things we've described, this is the climax of the movie. Yeah, already. And you don't realize it like until just at the very end where Robin Williams finally gets his turn, but Van Pelt's caught up with him. Yeah, we won't get there yet because there's one part I do want to address, and that's oh, yeah, when all ahead. this mayhem is happening. 
monkey asshole Peter decides that he's going to go get something to wind up fighting off all the creatures here, all the spiders and shit. So he runs down to the woodshed to find an axe. He goes down there, realizes it's locked, grabs the axe that is next to the woodshed, starts chopping at the lock, and then realizes that he's so dumb that he's using an axe to chop to open the door that he's trying to find an axe with, stares directly into the camera breaks lens, the breaks the wall. fourth wall, and then runs back upstairs. In which case, the axe serves no purpose because by the time he's got there, all the spiders are gone. Everything's and he's chomping at the spiders and missing every, every time. single time so peter goes up uh this is when we get into the earthquake the, so yes, the earthquake oh, starts splitting the house in two i didn't know the jungle was known for earthquakes it might not be it doesn't matter that's the other thing it, the, the the physics and locations of this stuff like when when they break open the door earlier because david allen greer and the aunt are now at the house trying to break in they kick open the door which causes the monsoon or the river to just completely plunge into the street where they're riding doors and like, crocodiles are like beside them it makes no sense literally just the physics of the water spilling out of the house into the street I, there's no tunnel it's not like anything's keeping them afloat it makes it's so dumb all right so they're at this point they are very quickly rolling the dice um it's robin williams turn and he gets down to roll the dice and van pelt shows up and he holds the gun and this is the whole scene where he's like are you ready to die and yep um, dude this is a good scene i will say this is a well yes. shot film it's what well shot scene i like this so Robin, he tells Robin Williams to drop whatever he has in his hands, and Robin Williams has the dice. He drops it, and one of them just keeps rolling and rolling down into the crevice where the earthquake split open the house, and it's enough to move Robin Williams to the winning set piece. So Van Pelt asks, any last words? And he's just like, Jumanji. What? What? <laughs> Jumanji. And so... Uh, Van Pelt fires and I gotta say this was actually one of the cooler scenes for me anyway yeah. in this film he fires at Robin Williams and Bonnie Hunt and the bullet like stops right in front of them like Matrix style and then like starts getting sucked back in to the game Yep, it just like slowly starts to swirl and then all the animals come in and they, like everything's like vortexing around the board game and getting sucked back into I don't know the jungle mm-hmm. Van Pelt's face gets stuck or something. It's so it's dumb. such yeah, a yeah. derpy, dumb moment. Um, it all sucks up, and then boom. They're kids again. Flashback to 1969, and they're kids again, mm-hmm. yet they retain all of the knowledge that they had while they lived their other life playing this game. Now, I'm not sure if this is written the exact same way in the book. This is based off a book. The same, Actually, the same book, now that I'm saying this, is the same author of the Polar Express, so it very well may be that whole, like, only children can hear this innocent thing. Yeah, okay. But to break open this at the very end of the movie raises so many questions about... This This isn't just a game. Zach, this is, this is the fountain of youth. This you, is the key to immortality and really ultimate knowledge robin williams just lived the last 26 of his years as well as bonnie hunt him in the jungle her outside in the real world they're able to retain all of that information when they go back into the bodies of their younger selves she could play the lottery she could do sport she she knows all everything of the next 26 years she knows how it's gonna happen and so you know they live they live through it uh robin or alan reconciles with his father um Flash forward 26 years later, and all they've done with this knowledge is they've taken over the family shoe factory. 
Yeah, there. So it's at a Christmas party, and uh, Sarah's pregnant. Yeah, Sarah's pregnant. Everybody's good. Carl's there as well, singing Christmas carols. And then the parents of Judy and Peter uh, come up to Robin Williams and Bonnie Hunt, and they start discussing, having a conversation as if they've met before. Yeah, which and this is where knowing that they were in advertising, the one throwaway time it was mentioned comes into play because apparently Alan and Sarah are using them for advertising and now they know the children who can't obviously remember them. So let's just to recap here, had Robin Williams never opened the game, the town would be cool, which is his now. His dad and mother would presumably still be alive, which they are now. Judy and Peter's father would also still be alive, mother and father. Which they they bring up because they're like, oh, we're going to take a ski trip to Canada, which is apparently when they died. And they're like, no, don't go to Canada. Yeah, it's alluded that they died maybe in a car crash. Yeah, but- a car accident in Canada. Okay, so, that, so it was on the way to the ski trip? Okay. Yeah, and so they're like, no, and it's like, it's brought up in a really goofy way, but the implications are <laughs> they just saved the lives <laughs> of two people and saved these two children from being orphans. Dude, it is Like, insanity. it's such, like, yeah. throwaway, like, no, and, like, Holy goofy, like, oh, shit. Bonnie Hunt and Robin Williams, funny people, but it's like, no, they saved four lives. <laughs> At least, dude, and they saved the whole fucking town from the whole falling town. in, and, oh, my God. So, uh, one of the things we glossed over, because that's really all you need to know about that part, but one of the things we glossed over was that uh, as children, Alan and Sarah throw Jumanji down into a river. And keep in mind, this is a river supposedly in the middle of New Hampshire. Yeah, yeah. Flash forward now. Two people, um, I don't know what language they're speaking. It's a foreign country. It's a foreign country. It's on a beach, and Jumanji's in the sand. In what way... I don't know the waterways of New Hampshire, but how would that... Dude, I I don't know. And I mean, that's probably the smallest little nitpick about the entire... Because I'm still... I'm so hung up on just the thought process behind this game and what it could mean for human civilization. So that's Jumanji and... (laughs) I mean, that's it. That's Jumanji. Honestly, Um, that is Jumanji, dude. So that's Jumanji, and we're a little long right now, but let's just keep powering through it. Absolutely, dude. So 6.9 or 48% on Rotten Tomatoes. What do you you think, man? Where where would you put it? I'd put it a little lower than that. Honestly, dude, that's what I was thinking the exact same thing. I think think this is like a 40. I was going to say maybe a 30. Dude. You know what? Um, It's one of those movies where... Robin Williams is in it, and Robin Williams being such the big star that he was in that mid-90s era, um, he's very good. Bonnie Hunt is actually very good in this movie, too, and so is Kirsten Dunst. All the acting Uh, is, well... Peter. Okay. (laughs) Not all of them, but most of them. No, I'll agree. David Allen Greer is... But a lot of the actors in this movie are actually very good, um, and they, they buy into the script... Um, nothing, they don't make them say, like, overly stupid thing. There's a couple, like, questionable lines. Sure, but it's a kid's movie. But it's a kid's movie, um, but that's probably the strength. Maybe the CGI back then gives it a little strength, but when you look at it now, it's really not that good. And it was funny, because when I first started watching this, I felt the nostalgia, but halfway through this movie, I was like, I'm bored, I don't care, like... It's not that good of a movie. It's full of holes. It's full of kind of weird, stupid things. Um, and that, so, yeah, 30, I think, for me. 
I'd give it a 40. I say, you mentioned earlier Robin Williams is in this movie, and while he does deliver, you know, a fine enough performance, we were talking while the movie was playing, and he didn't need to be in this movie. Oh, Robin Williams is one of those performers that you would put in a movie for a reason. Like, it should be him, that type of character, and this could have been played by anybody. Let him be the funny guy. Let him be... He needs to steal the show. And in this movie the role of alan wasn't a, a show stealer i mean it could have been anybody well this like is said. so this is interesting considered for the role of alan i want you to give me your top pick uh, out of these actors who were all going to be possibilities for the role okay okay went to robin williams but here were the here were the choices first tom hanks dan Aykroyd, chevy chase sean connery bruce willis michael keaton mel gibson and bill murray Oh, God. Um, and that's the thing, is I don't think necessarily any performer could have brought anything to this, because I think the script, while it has a good plot and it could be a good story, it's just a poorly written script. Oh, it is. And I think that's its biggest travesty. It, you know, there's really no room for anybody to flex any sort of uh, acting talent here. It's just very, like, read the lines, move on to the next piece. I think out of those people... I'd have rather seen Michael Keaton. Dude, I was literally going to say Keaton, role. dude. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Michael Keaton, I think, could have brought something to that role that maybe Tom Hanks could have brought it to. But I think out of all of those, I mean, Michael Keaton being goofy in Jumanji, he would have, he'd have brought something that Robin Williams probably could have brought, but in a way more realistic sense. Sure. No, I, I get that. Yep. So really quick, I know we we touched on this a little bit. Jumanji sequel, worth it? See, that's the thing, is watching this entire movie, I kept thinking, for most of the runtime, this could be a better movie. Like, this is an idea that if you use today's technology, the the Jungle Book fucking people, if they were to get on board with this, it, it's such an effects-heavy premise that that is endless, and, like, you could have gone anywhere with it. And I was so disappointed when I saw where they were going to go with this. And I think, had I not watched this rewatch of this movie, I would have been even more disappointed in where they went. But after watching it and realizing it, it's not a terribly great movie. Like, I don't feel as hurt, but at the same time, it's just so unoriginal and boring. No, and that's how I feel, too, is that uh, there is a lot of good source material and good ideas in this movie, while maybe not executed that well in 1995. This new movie, just based on the trailer, looks like a money grab when it just it could have been so much more than that. And it's disappointing. So. Uh, not a movie I'll see or care to see. So next week, folks, we're going to be dipping our toes into a couple a little later. We're going to be going from uh, 1995 to 1998. Yep. This is DreamWorks Small Soldiers. And this is a movie that we talked about this in the first episode, uh, movies that you would constantly rent from Blockbuster. This is a movie for me that I constantly rented from Blockbuster. One of the things that we're going to talk about in that movie is... Uh, violence i think and that's the thing about these 90s movies for the most part i mean with space jam this movie particular uh, jumanji and definitely small soldiers just violent slapstick humor was all the rage back then and and i just don't think that stuff would fly today you know if you haven't seen that movie it's on hulu right now i think that's worth mentioning maybe go and watch that movie uh well thank you for listening everyone if you have a suggestion remember just shoot an email or message over to zach or i yep and please uh do me do us all a favor send a petition to the network get us back on the network because they 
dropped us. Uh, we've been in talks with them. They've been not even willing to talk with us. They, they were saying something about me, and it got a little personal. So you know what? There's nothing we can do on our end. I've been getting constant cease and desist letters. A lot of them. So just please petition the network. Get us back on the network uh, if you like this show. So thank you again. Um, anything else you want to say? Not really, man. Tune in next week for Small Soldiers, and we will see you next time. Have a good time. Peace. Peace.